I want to buy you or I don't. And the product or service you're selling hangs in the balance. Actually, anything you want to offer me is in the balance. Your idea, your message, your influence, and taking any of my time. I could be your prospect, your coworker, your employer, your employee, your spouse, your kid. And this is the point here. We always think we're offering a thing and we habitually miss the reality we are first and foremost selling ourselves. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. In this episode, I polled our audience asking in your job or business, how much do you feel you are selling your product or service versus how much you are simply selling yourself? Tom Ziegler joined me. We talked through a number of the comments to give us all just a big reminder of how much of our efforts are made or broken by our ability to sell ourselves. I mean, unless again, you're selling a commodity product in volume and merely competing for price, such as, you know, on Amazon, then you are selling a premium premium product or service. And you, you simply can't claim you have the best as nobody will believe it these days. And to a great degree, you can't claim you have the most unique or exclusive or nearly any claim. What you can and must do is attract your prospects to you personally. This is what the show today is about. Tom, I just felt led to revisit this aspect of selling a product or service, putting the focus on that and selling ourselves because I feel like I still forget it after all these years and all the sales and all that I know, and I still will forget it. And I know other people do too, because I see it happen. And I was thinking about why, you know, why does this often happen? And I really, to the time that we're in today, I wondered if it's more of a danger because we are so involved in buying online, buying commodity items. So, you know, on a given day, I may go to Amazon twice, three times and order something, order a book, order a, you know, workout thing, a camping thing, uh, something for my household maintenance. I don't know. I'm just so used to it. I don't drive the one mile away to Walmart anymore. I just go onto old Amazon and click it and I'm just buying a product. It's just a commodity. It's not associated with uh, a brand often or a personality. And that's what I get to do. And so here, then I jump over to sell whatever I'm selling. And I think I can fall into that. And I wonder if that's just a continued or an elite or an elevated danger that we have in our culture today. We're buying so many, and then we come over to, you know, to, or to sell our own thing and we got, get caught up into that. And I don't know that there's anybody we know here listening 
that's not, if they're selling a product, selling a service, they are selling a premium product. They're not selling a commodity like some replacement tent poles that I might buy on Amazon. That is a commodity. It's I'm buying it by price and review for the most part. And uh, we are all over here selling premium products for the most part. I mean, now, of course, your buddies and I am too with Mark. Tim is an Amazon expert. And he sells there and sells a lot of things. But for the most part, we are selling premium products. I, what do you think about that? Just as far as a pulse on the culture and our propensity these days? Well, I think it's real easy to get a little bit lazy and hide a little bit behind the computer. Um, uh. You know, we, we just kind of take our guard down um, and everything is about scale these days. I mean, it's, it's like the race is the race to scale. And of course, when sure. you, when, when you want to scale, uh, that means by almost by default, it's got to be mass produced. Yeah. Right. And that means it can't have any rough edges. It's got to be. And I think our, our good friend, Seth Godin, he, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, he put out a post and he was talking about this little restaurant in New York that has fresh herbs on, in all their dishes. And he talked about how the flavor is always unique and it varies. It goes up and down, but it's handcrafted and you can't get anything else like it uh, in that area because everybody likes the consistency of prepackaged processed herbs mm. <laughs> in and spices, right? Yeah. And and so do you want to do something that has flavor and taste? Or do you want to do, you know, the the viable minimum product? And and so part of this is we hide and part of it is our goal is to have as little problems as possible as we grow. And we equate that to fewer human interactions, Yeah, which then I think um, lowers the standard for what, what we're willing to put out there on ourselves. So what's the way to differentiate, differentiate in today's world? Uh, it's anything handcrafted, <laughs> anything that's got my soul in it, anything that I take pride in every piece of that project you know, and, and the idea, I mean, I would, it's, it's like now whenever, if I travel and I'm looking for something for that area, I try to find something handcrafted. I don't yeah. want it to be perfect. Yeah. Right. I want to, I want to see the fingerprints in the work. And, and so when we get into higher end elements of, and so we could be selling something digital or brick and mortar, uh, you know, something creative, but ultimately the higher the value, and this is what I tell all of our coaches and all of our uh, speakers and trainers who use our material in the name, I say, look, the Ziegler brand may help you get the appointment, but they're going to buy you. They are buying you. And so, you know, we've recently, you know, as we've gotten a little wiser and we've seen good deals and bad deals, uh, I will buy my car from a dealer that I trust mm -hmm. and the few extra dollars or the convenience that I might've gotten somewhere else. It doesn't matter anymore because I want a relationship with somebody that I know there. Okay. And I think that's just a good way to do it. So do we, and so ultimately people do buy us. And that's why dad said that 
selling is a transference of feeling. And so it's very hard to sell us if we don't feel good about us. Well, that's significant there. And yeah, you brought out, you mentioned the Ziegler brand. And that's interesting because here we are in the Ziegler show that has been, you know, the, uh, something that I have been spearheading for what, six years now. And obviously that opens the door for a lot, the Ziegler brand, it's the Ziegler show. But ultimately I realize if I can humbly say that people are still not going to listen, if the content's not good and if they don't relate to, and like me to some standpoint, and that's right now, podcasting, of course, is so such a hot, hot market. And I think that's a prime area where we look at and go, Hey, I have expertise in this area. I'm going to get on a podcast and talk about it and go, that's great. But there's no way that you can claim to be the best or provide the best content. Let's say you can't be the best interviewer. I am not the best interviewer. You can't have the best content on self-help, personal development, tech, entertainment, you name it, education, health and wellness. You cannot uh, claim to be the best and have exclusive information. Ultimately, people are going to listen because they like you. You're engaging. You speak their flavor. Maybe you're entertaining. I could do more to be more entertaining and more of a storyteller. But uh, you're totally right. Again, we want to associate with people whose image we want to associate with. I saw uh, we had an advertiser on the show that I wear the clothes now and have continued to outer known. It's Kelly Slater. He's a surfer. And I saw I was watching the Olympics, Tom. We were talking about that a second ago. And I was watching the surfing event and it did one of those little behind the scenes. Let's go meet this athlete in there. And the next shot, it shows him and he's got a t-shirt that says outer known. And I thought, hey, you know, I wear that stuff. I like it. I like their ethos. They're sustainably made. And then Kelly Slater is this, you know, surfer and he's out to do good things. And, and it's cool. I like to be associated with that. So back to us again, if you are a plumber and you think, you know what? I get business because I'm good at plumbing. Man, there, I'm in a little bitty town and there's plenty of plumbers. I'm ultimately going to do business repeatedly, at least with the person that I trust and probably that I have some rapport with. So, you know, again, bringing us back to how important it is of our personal connection with whoever we think or whoever we're trying to sell to and to retain as a client. So here, let me dive in and I'll just read some. It'll bring up some different areas, Tom. Um, Ralph McClelland here, he says, I'm in the insurance business, property and casualty. Since I represent numerous companies, I've always provided good service and stress the fact that I'm always available. That's something that's unheard of in today's world of technology. With that said, I guess I sell myself more than the products I offer. Man, that's one. That's a great one, Tom. Insurance. You know that industry well. I mean, I have right now, of course, we, you know, most people are going to have health insurance, car insurance, home insurance, life insurance. A lot of self-employed people are going to have liability, uh, not liability. What's the, what, what do we have? Um, if we get injured or something, what's that called? Is oh, that liable? Um, disability. Disability. Thank you. Disability. Uh, you might have liability for your business. All these insurance things. I am personally surprised, Tom, uh, that I spend this money. It goes out every week. And the last time I had to figure out my life insurance, I had to showcase. I don't know what it would have been. Maybe it was for getting disability or something like that. I couldn't remember who it was with. I've not heard from the people. I had to go into my bank statement and find the company's name and then figure out who's my agent. 
and they've given me no reason to stick with them. Now, I do remember the guy, and initially when we were looking at it, I thought, okay, he seems legit. I think I trust him. Um, but that is one where it's such a insurance, it's such a commodity these days because you're buying it, yeah, through any number of companies that there's no reason to buy from any certain, any specific thing other than a person that you trust. So there, I guess I'm open on the market for insurance since I just divulged that I I can't even remember who has my half of my insurance. That's a, that is a great one. That is a very personality driven one. Yeah. And I'll share something else uh, with you. Uh, Billy Cox who's a longtime Ziegler friend. He's got a company called yellow blue. And what they do is they uh, offer kind of very green, you know, yellow blue is the new green. So it's a green product line and they, they do things like solar powered attic fans. So these things last forever. They massively reduce uh, energy use inside of a house by keeping it cooler, using solar energy to clear out, but they have other product lines as well. And so just like that insurance example, a lot of times people will get into a business for a little while and then they'll move on. And so it wouldn't surprise me if you're an orphan, like Kevin, like maybe that agent decided to do something else in his life and and whoever picked up that book of business right. uh, didn't carry it on. So one of the things that Billy was sharing with me is they've created this new app. Uh, it's really uh, a really simple but yet very powerful way where the big company can keep track of all of the customers in it and do the follow-up marketing on behalf of the reps that they have working for them. So now it's a partnership. Right. And so now (laughs) I kind of like that saying, you know, no one gets left behind. And so the idea is, is that the most valuable thing in our business is the people that we work with. So that's kind of Billy's philosophy and I want to support them. So I'm going to come back in on the other side and create a business model where when, when a customer buys something, we automatically follow up and we put the triggers in so that our busy salespeople, and let's face it, some of the greatest salespeople in the world, they just need to be selling, right? They need to be going from place to place to place and they need help on the support side. And so whenever we're looking at how we do business, we've got to understand what value did we bring and what's our blind spot and how can we get the right, person to support our blind spot. And that is, um, when I look at the most successful businesses, like I gave the example of the car dealership that I like buying cars from, I'm not going in and buying directly from the owner. Yeah. And I might have a different salesperson each time I go in because, you know, it might be five or 10 years between times when I buy a car. But I'll tell you this, I know his system takes care of me and then he trains and trusts his people to operate the system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's one. And you and I have talked so many times about Sewell, you know, Carl Sewell. Well, I don't even know if the guy's alive anymore and yet we're still telling stories. If he is, I'm sure he's not at the dealership. I'm not going to find him when I go there, but his reputation has gone on. And again, here we are and how much of what we're doing is built on uh, the legacy that your dad started that you are now continuing. Well, Brian Lynchard here, he said, I have recently had customers tell me that I am the reason they are buying from my employer. Uh, And so he's an employee. 
That one right there, that goes back. You mentioned Seth Godin a minute ago and his book, Lynchpin. That's what he's talking about. How can you be indispensable in your work as an employee specifically, um, I think. And man, that one spoke, spoke to me, uh, what Brian said there. We had a nurse in the medical practice who we realized that little by little, we were paying her more and more and more and really more than the role necessitated in and of itself. However, we also realized that there was a lot of patients and she was the primary contact for them. I mean, that was, I'm not going to say that she is the only reason that they were there, but if we were to let her go, we'd have a lot of explaining to do. Uh, not that we wanted to, but it was just a, a neat realization that she here, here's somebody right in our midst who created so much value in what she did that it was well worth us paying more than what the role in and of itself uh, necessitated. And if she were to go somewhere else for her to know that and even have, I mean, I, I would, if for Brian, I would, uh, really encourage him to get testimonials, you know, that go on his resume to take to the next employer. Uh, that's powerful. Who goes to an employer with that and says, here's my resume and here's testimonials, not from my past employers, from the past customers of the place that I worked at. It's pretty unheard of. And yet we have the ability to do that. I have been in so many situations. I, I'm grateful to, you know, back when I was waiting tables, which was, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago in realizing there are customers that would come in and request me. They wanted me to wait on them. And that was, that was awesome. I really appreciate that. We have that. So everybody who's an employee out there to think of, can you be so valuable and treat those customers like they are theirs, like they are yours? I mean, like you are the employer, treat them to the point to where they are there loyal to you. Talk about the opportunity to get promoted, to start your own business or to have a great opportunity elsewhere. And that is one, my gosh, we're in a, you know, that Tom, we're, we're in a volatile place here in America, especially maybe worldwide. I don't know, but in America, at least as far as employees and loyalty and, uh, it's, it's quite the volatile place at this point. And man, that's not a common perspective that we're seeing out there in the marketplace. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode on selling yourself. Uh, next, Tom talks about the value of being the key resource for your prospects, even if your product or service is not what they need. I always go back to one of our top salespeople ever. Her name is Jill Helwig. And she used to, to call her customers. She'd get a little smile and she'd say, let me tell you about my little customer. So <laughs> she adopted them. They were like her, her, little, her little kids, her little children. And we were uh, working on a, a project one time. with a, a, And dad actually, dad nicknamed her the bear hunter because she'd go after the big ones. Hmm. And we were working on one of these big things. And... She was like, we're going to do this and this, and here's how the project's going to go. It was a custom training, and then we're going to figure this out and this out. And I said, uh, well, those two things there, we don't do that. That's not our business. And she goes, she goes, I know, and, and we're not going to do it, but I'm going to find out who can because I want this customer to know that regardless of the question, their best decision is to call me first. Because I'll either provide the yeah. answer or find somebody who can do solve their problem. Yeah, and so that's really the spirit of 
where does we, you know, if we are truly there to serve our customer, we're there to solve their problems, right? We're there to look at the challenges they have and see how we can jump in and help them. And then how do we do that? Well, (laughs) I'll talk about the new book for a second because there's a simple coaching model in there that's perfect for sales. And in performance, we talk about attitude times effort times skill equals performance. And so in sales, if that's what you do, think about this. When you are with a prospect or maybe with a customer who might be uh, potentially buying something else from you, just ask yourself, uh, how do they feel right at this very moment? It could be the very first time you've ever talked to them or it could be in a long-term relationship. How do they feel as you start the conversation? How do you want them to feel when you're done? And then you ask this question, what attitude can I bring that would move them from, you know, insecure? I'm not sure if I trust these guys. Uh, I don't like the situation I'm in, you know, that I have to buy something. Uh, how much is it going to cost to at the end? Man, this is, they're fantastic. I trust them. Um, I can't wait to the next step. So what are the attitudes that you can bring that would move someone from kind of that, you know, not just neutral, but negative to positive. Yeah. And then you do the same thing with effort and skill. How can I demonstrate effort that would take them from below neutral to raving fan and skill? You know, how can I hone my sales skills, my communication skills, my product knowledge skills to move them from skeptical and concerned all the way up to they want to give me as a referral. And so if you're wondering, well, how do I sell myself? Put yourself in the position of the typical prospect that you come across. What are the general fears that they have working with somebody like you? How do you want them to feel after you've had that initial conversation or transaction? And then what are the attitudes, efforts, and skills that you got to deliver on that build the trust in those areas? You said resource, somebody who is a resource, even if they didn't provide it, they would help uh, somewhere else. And you talked about referrals as well. That is one, Tom. So I had a, I had an experience. It was just yesterday of a guy that I have turned to quite a bit for counsel. Uh, so, and I realized this last time that I did, I almost felt a little guilty. I'd never paid the guy anything. And I just keep reaching out and keep reaching out. And uh, he keeps giving me counsel. And then, so he was a resource for me. Okay. Hadn't, hadn't bought a thing from him yesterday had another friend contact me out of the blue and said, Hey, I was checking out this guy, this company. And I saw you listed on there. I didn't even know I was listed on there. I, I, and so I was listed on there. Um, uh, and he said, I'm, I'm just interested in contracting with this guy, this company. What do you think about him? Of course, what did I do? I said, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? They're the best. And so he just got business from me because he's been a resource, never has received a dime from my pocket personally, directly. And I just helped him get a client that'll probably make a few thousand bucks on at least. So thanks That's for awesome. bringing that up. It is awesome. And then, you know, Rabbi Daniel Lappin has that quote. He says that, opportunity seeks out the generous. Yeah. So you're the guy you go to for counsel. He's generous with his time. Mm-hmm. 
And so opportunity comes by and then it gets confirmed because he was generous with your word. That's such a great reminder again for all of us. Well, here's another one. David Treese, he says, I try to mostly sell myself, but it always helps when I have the latest and greatest financial products. Clients that buy soon after entering the funnel are product focused. Those who come around months or years later are buying me. The longer it takes to make a new client indicates to me that they are buying me. And, you know, that's, he mentions funnels. That's interesting. We have so many tactics out there, especially in the online world to hook in somebody. And that is great. You can do a lot of tactics to make the first sale. Those won't help you make the second sale or get a referral as well. So we're talking about repeat business, retention, helping attrition, getting a referral, that's what happens with the relationship. That's a great call out for all of us who are selling a product and service, even if it is a commodity. Gosh, that's, that's relevant, Tom, too, that there are so many commodities out there. And I don't know how many times, man, I'll buy something. And then a month later, a year later, two years later, I need it again. And I'm racking my head to go, who was that? I'm searching for it. And I have such a hard time, which is even if we have a commodity, what is the price to stay, the cost to stay in contact with somebody so that they need just, even if it's just, yeah, still for a commodity, just stay in touch with them. So at least you're top of mind. I mean, that's another reminder. I think we all make, and again, I fall into it, Tom, I'll catch myself once in a while. I go, gosh, I'm sitting here working on the new sale. And when was the last time I followed up? Now, we should all have a process. I tend to jump around to too many different products and services and new endeavors, but we should have a process to where that's happening automatically. And we know that we are nurturing that relationship. So I'm grateful he brought that up because, yeah, funnels especially, man, what a big buzzword these days. That's, that may work and get you that first sale. It won't get you the second sale unless you build a relationship. 100%. And then... We've got to understand that, you know, he says he, at the very beginning, he said, I'm selling myself, but it sure is great to have great products. Yes. Right. Yes. It's great to have great products. Um, and so what is the greatest product you can offer someone? Yourself. Trust. Yeah. I was, yeah. Yourself. Trust is what yeah, I thought. trust. Right. That is the ultimate. Um, and so you've got to be focused on creating the trust. And when we coach, uh, gosh, I don't know how many conversations we've had hundreds on this in our events, you know, small business owners, um, we asked the group, what's the most profitable sale of all? And about 10% know the answer. Oh, that's the upsell, right? That's, that's when we've already made the sale and we do the add on sale or the upsell. And yet most people don't do it. And so why don't you do it? Well, there's fear. You know, what if they say no? What if what if they what if they say no to the whole deal? But here's the thing. If your upsell has value and it solves a problem for the customer, what would happen if you didn't offer it and then they bought that same thing from somebody else who didn't have the integrity that you have? Mm -hmm. And so when you start this idea, who do I sell? I sell myself. You have, if you're a person of, so everybody's got a lot of integrity, listen in, everybody else, forget this. <laughs> if you have a great deal of integrity and you're going to do what's right by your customer, you have a moral obligation to put in front of them 
the best solution for them. So if that means an add-on sale, an upsell, you know, an, an extra amount of service or whatever it is, you've got to do it because if you don't, there's a chance they're going to say no anyway. There's a chance that they're going to go down the road and buy it from someone else without as much integrity. Yeah. And then did you serve your customer well? But this trust, you know, my quote is, trust is a byproduct of integrity. Yeah. And so when we sell ourselves, it's, it's integrity that creates trust. And then we have a moral obligation to solve the whole problem. Yeah. Let, the, let the customer decide how much they're going to take on today, but they got to know the options. Well, you're back to being, yeah, a resource. We're there to serve them first, not sell them. Here's two that go together well. Daniel Lopez, he says, I sell myself. I learned from Brian Buffini. Folks, if you don't know them, that he's a, uh, what would you call him? A, a partner of Ziegler, a long time. Great friend, yeah. uh, just a, a massive force and influence in the realtor world coaching uh, agents and in the mortgage industry, just fantastic. Yeah, with, with a huge podcast as well. So the Brian Buffini Show, I think it's in the business category, so you can find that. So he said, Daniel said, I learned from Brian Buffini and Zig that uh, he loved hearing, here's a great salesman because he views it as a noble profession. Man, that is just, again, I want to put that out there that I think Ziegler listeners will know that, but do you still think of, are you, is, your, is that your primary context that sales is a noble profession? Uh, however, Daniel goes on to say, however, he will stop someone that says he can, sell an, he can sell ice to an Eskimo because he wouldn't. He won't sell anything that he doesn't believe in. The product or service may not be for everyone, but it may be right for a referral. So be honest, gain trust, and it will go a long way. Now I'm gonna put with that Terry Johnson here who sells life insurance. He says, I learned at Million Dollar Roundtable that it's 95% soft skills and 5% product knowledge. But I, I really appreciate this. You need 100% of that 5% knowledge. So yeah, people by people, that's what's critical. That's interesting too, because back to what you said, Tom, of it does help, or our previous guy, that it does help to have a great product as well. I mean, we're assuming that somewhat. We're assuming that anybody listening here with a, what we're gonna call premium product or service, that it's great, that you have done the work to make it great. You do believe it. You do believe it's a benefit uh, to people and you need to really know it. And Tom, that's one that in my, gosh, there have been times in my life where I have been involved in selling something that it's not that, I, I mean, I believed in it. It was fine product, nothing immoral, unethical, whatever. But did I really care about it? Did I really see the end value uh, to that? And was I 100% knowledgeable? There, I, I remember one business in particular, and that was not the case. And the business did well. I was a partner in it. It was selling. It was a mor in mortgage and lend, uh, lending and real estate, actually. And it was fine, but I just personally didn't care. And I wasn't the most knowledgeable, and I got by on selling it. Now, there's nothing, again, immoral or illogical in there, but, man, it was not best, and I ultimately left it. I left that company, and, and I shouldn't have probably ever started that, but I got in because it was just a, an area that I was involved in, and I had an opportunity, and I needed the money at that time. Um, but that is so relevant to look at. This is something we need to have a 
great product, great service, great knowledge in that area, even as we realize that may be 5% of the deal and the other 95%. And Terry called them soft skills, which I appreciate lately. People like Simon Sinek uh, have gotten famous for saying those are no longer, we no longer call those soft skills, those PR skills, those sales skills. Those are, I think he says necessary skills or required skills, which Tom, as you know, our culture again is reeling right now in the corporate world from a lack of, especially this younger workforce who have a lot of skill, a lot of knowledge. They know what, how to do X, Y, Z, and they do not have those, how, whatever you want to call it, you know, before called soft skills, which is the heart of what we're talking about here with sales and especially ethical sales, moral sales and sales that builds a relationship and builds trust. Hundred percent, you know, and and one of the in the in the research over the last year on what's the big sea change in business, uh, we're seeing this right now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Google put the word out: "Hey guys, everybody who moved away from headquarters, it's time to move back close. Mm. We're going to start going in." And they had a mini revolt. Their people were like, "Wait a second, I, I kind of like working out here uh, next to the mountains or next to the beach." and and, and so now they're kind of juggling, well, what are we going to do? Uh, because before the pandemic, you, you, if you were going to be a player in technology, you needed a, you needed big companies on your resume like Google, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. Well, now the worker is saying, you know what? I like working for Google, but I like quality of life even better. And so what is the disconnect there? Is it, is, it, is it young people who are missing out on essential skills and they don't like to be led? Or is it, you know, old style leadership whose core values differ and may be uh, wrong than younger people's values are today as, as far as that whole balance in life goes? Those are, those are things that are going on right now. But I will tell you this that if you're in a leadership position, if you're a business owner, you know what you're doing every day? You are selling yourself to your team. And people are going to continue to work in your business because they're buying you. Yeah. Right? And so the, the given is when you go and work with the customer on the outside, that customer is trusting you to show them all the, the features, functions, and benefits, the advantages and disadvantage of this, this choice versus that choice, to help them compare what they have versus what they want versus what they really need. And they're going to seek your advice on what is the best solution. Well, guess what? The people on your team are looking to you as the leader saying, hey, I trust you. You know, I know that you're going to operate this business with integrity and we've got a mission to go after. But are you looking out for the best interest of everybody on the team? Because last time I checked, the better we're doing as a team, the more productive we're going to be. And so we've got to be consistent in our messaging. Yeah. Right. If, if, and, and that is, gosh, you know, and I wonder, is it possible to sell over a long period of time in a manner that's inconsistent with who you are. I just paraphrase something out of the book. See at the top. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, it's, it's a great, yeah. I, I mean, I think we see that. I mean, you talked about, 
you know, even, even car sales, man, it's so obvious who's there to make a sale and who's there to really help. It's probably one of the most acute places, which is why it gets, you know, it has some baggage behind it. Tom, here's a couple uh, I want to read. Jennifer says, I turned the question around and said, would the client buy, f- buy my product from my teammate who has no personality compared to me? But this is interesting. She says nine times out of 10, I think they still will as long as the other person isn't lying because our product is that good and it's needed. I don't know what she's selling. I need to find out what that is. But right after that, Laura, she says, I'm in construction, but feel that when I'm doing my job well, I'm doing both. I'm selling myself and the service simultaneously. When I excel, the project is more likely to proceed well and the client is happier. So what that got me to thinking about, Tom, was are we really excited about what we are selling. We did a show not long ago about, you know, do we find honor and value in the end product or service that we're all involved in selling, even if you're not on the front lines of selling, that you are involved in some aspect of the process towards an end sale. And are we excited about that? And that's one I wanted to pull out. And again, I don't mean to be down on myself, but man, like you, Tom, I've been selling something my entire life since I was a kid. Uh, I started my first business selling myself. I was doing window tinting on cars at age 15, had my own little business out of my dad's, uh, my mom and dad's garage. And I was selling something. And there have been times when I had something that I did think was good and think was value valuable. But as a business person, I lost sight of the excitement. I lost sight of the value and, and, and got my head focused more on the business of it, the making the sale. And maybe I was even more lax because I knew the product was good. Okay. That was, that was a, that was a, an, an, a that was assumed. I mean, I knew that that was happening, but what happens in those cases is I lost sight of that for the client. And I assumed the product, I, mean, I knew the product was good. I assumed that they did as well. And they didn't. And I wasn't ex- as excited. I wasn't sharing that excitement. And man, going back to who do I like to sell from? Who do I want to buy a house from? I want to buy a house not from the person who knows real estate like nobody else, who knows the market like nobody else. I want to buy it from the person who thinks that they are doing me a favor by helping me find my dream home. I, wa- I want that, trans- back to what you said a minute ago, that transference of feeling and emotion. So again, and I'm just trying, I want to connect with people out there who have been in business for a while and maybe even now. And I think it's a consistent reminder. I could probably have an alert come up every week on my calendar and say, Kevin, are you excited about what you're selling? Are you sharing that excitement? Are you leading with that excitement? Or have you let yourself get caught up in the business of it? That's just a good reminder, I think, for all of us. So I, I appreciate these people back to that. It helps to have a, you know, a good product that do you believe in your product or service? Do you believe it's a value of somebody? And are you leading with that? And I think, again, especially for business owners, as opposed to getting caught up in your business, and I, that's probably not fair, even to the, the salesperson who's an employee out there, you can still get caught up in the numbers and the revenue and get caught up that you need to feed your family and not leading with, again, kind of that walkaway power. I love my mechanic. He's right across the street. I can see him right now. Uh, and he is so hilariously classic and walking over there and I'll share something to him. He'll go, man, you don't want me to do that. That's going to cost too much. We could do this and we could do that, but let's, you know, that's just a bad, uh, that's a bad code. We can clear that out. You can drive for another 
two years and not spend the money. And I trust that guy. And he talks me out of more expenses than he talks me into. And I trust him. I, I refer people to him and I do take my stuff there. And I've also spent way too much money, uh, I would think, but he keeps me rolling. So Tom, this is, this, again, this is why I wanted to do the show to bring us back to, well, who, who said that before the honor of selling and leading with excitement. It's just something that I am always needing to be reminded of brought back to you. You're just reminding me of a sales story I heard uh, earlier this week. So I was, I was, uh, talking to this lady, I think her name is Teresa Goss, and she has a great Zig story. Um, and she said, you know, I learned, I learned from your dad. Uh, she said early on, I was selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. Oh yeah. So, so Kirby, I mean, that is a, uh, door to door, uh, type of presentation where you go into home and depending on how the appointment is set up, it, it's common to, knock on a door, you, you do the introduction and they'll say, no, I'm not interested. You know, that's not us. And so she said, she learned this concept from my dad. And she said, well, you know, uh, is it okay if I do my demonstration, even though there's no way you're buying because I make a hundred dollars for every demonstration that I do. It's a great tactic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm going to lay down the psychology behind it uh, in just a second. And so they would say, what do you mean? And she would just say, I make a sale every fourth demonstration. That's my number. And so when I do a demonstration, it gives me the excitement. Uh, it lets me know I'm closer to my sale. I know you're not interested. I know you don't need it. I know your current vacuum cleaner is fantastic. But if you would just let me spend 25 minutes kind of doing the demonstration, then, then you will be giving me a hundred dollars without giving me any money at all. And I promise I won't ask you to buy. And so she said she'd get in there and she'd get all excited about the demonstration. She'd go through it and then she's done. She'd think, thank you so much. And she'd put everything back in the bag and she, and she said people would follow her to her car saying, I want to buy that. And she's like, nope, you can't buy it. Well, if I write you a check right now, can I have it? So she said she made a lot of sales that way. And I want everybody to hear the sequence. The sequence of uh, buying or looking at something is feelings, the story you tell yourself, and then facts. That's the sequence of a sales process. And so when you get somebody who is very resistant, no, whatever, very skeptical or negative, what you're dealing is with is negative feelings. And facts are not gonna overcome that, hmm. right? Just, just not gonna happen. There's no logic that's gonna come in and change. The only way you can change that is with new feelings that change the story. And so how do you create new feelings that change the story? A demo is one of the most powerful ways to do that because the expert comes in and they're using the vacuum in 27 ways you never even thought of. Mm -hmm. And you see the amount of stuff it pulls up versus the one you have now. And you start creating a new story. Wow, you know, if I clean with that, it would take half the time, the house would be twice as clean. 
and she's having so much fun. It's going to be fun to clean, right? And so now the story that you tell changes. And then you can lay the facts in. Here's why this is a good investment. And so that's always good to remember. And so people, especially veterans who've been doing a long time and you've seen everything and your energy levels down, just always remember that until the feelings are in the right place and the story in their mind, that's why do you think when you go to a car dealership, they try to do a test drive? Mm -hmm. They want you to start painting the story of yourself in that car. How cool is this going to be? How, how am I going to look here? It's, it's like the puppy dog clothes, right? You're changing the story. So that's, that's what it's about. Um, and it takes a lot of confidence in who you are and what you offer to basically follow through with what she was doing because she wouldn't ask them to buy at the end. She would say, hey, thank you so much. You've honored me. You know, I hope someday this is a solution for you. <laughs> and the more she kept her word, the more the more she you know she found checks on her in, in, in her wind, under her windshield wiper on this deal with people saying, you know what, <laughs> I know I said no, give me the chance to make a new decision. But it was because she honored that process and she came forward with that conviction, that attitude, that integrity of this is how we're going to do it. Well, you said integrity. You mentioned, you know, puppy dog clothes. And if you guys hear that, Secrets of Closing the Sale, one of the all-time best-selling books on sales on the planet. You go to Ziggler.com in the product section and find that. But these, again, are ethical sales, not tactics and strategies to sell ice to an Eskimo, but they are tactics to help somebody overcome the obstacles that are often not even real. They're perceived things and you're helping them make a decision that you realize would be of benefit to them in that case. Um, man, Tom, it's just always a good place to revisit for me. I, I really, out of this, I feel like that, that perspective of, yeah, are, are we excited and are we sharing and leading with that excitement? I just am so aware I can get caught up in the business of business and forget about the excitement and what the end product or service is doing for people. So thank you, brother. Always an honor. Thanks to everybody who responded. We got through very little of them, but that uh, still gave us good topics for the conversation. Awesome. Hey, thanks as always to everyone who responded uh, to my question for this show. And I invite anyone listening, you can join these weekly discussions. Uh, you can find and friend me on Facebook at Agent K Miller. I post one or two questions every week that I use in shows. Coming up in episode 915, I brought in a master of innovation. I mean, innovation's, you know, a hot and sexy word, but in truth, it's kind of illogical. And that's where we start off with in the show. I mean, we're all on a quest to find what works, right? In our lives and our business, what works, what produces good results. And then you stick with it. Well, the reality is in today's especially rapidly changing marketplace, few things stay the same. 
or better said, what people want and what other businesses are offering really stay the same. And we generally have no choice but to innovate. And I honestly feel like that's the same in our personal lives as well, even with the good habits that we want to employ and hold on to. So we talk about that in depth. Doug Paul is my guest. Uh, He's the author of a book, Ready or Not, Kingdom Innovation for a Brave New World. And we dig into just the root issues and opportunities and needs of innovation and what we all must know and what we can do about it. 